Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland, it's the Indians 6, the Chicago White Sox nothing. I'm Davey Barris, a lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And not only that, but we're going to do another prospect profile This time, I figured since AA Akron just won the Northeast Championship, we might as well look at one of the stars from that AA team, and we're going to talk about Indians shortstop prospect number, where does baseball, where does MLB have them, number seven prospect in the Indian system, according to MLB.com, Brian Rocchio. So stay tuned for that. We're going to talk the game first, then we're going to do a deep dive on Brian Rocchio and let you know a little bit about this guy. And he's an important one. He is a very important prospect for the future of the Cleveland Indians, the Cleveland Guardians, we should get used to saying. So let's get into this game. Let's talk the big storylines from this game. Ooh, where do we want to start? The top of the Indians offense or Eli Morgan? Eli Morgan. After getting absolutely destroyed by Milwaukee two starts ago, he has really bounced back and pitched very well in New York against the Yankees and now in this one against the White Sox. He's picked up two wins in his last two starts to move to 4-7 and seven on the season. Obviously, we know this is a guy who things started off very rough for him in that Toronto series and uh, you know the Toronto Hurricane game, and he's slowly been working that ERA down the entire year, racking up some wins for himself. And honest to God, I mean, we have six legitimate starters going into next season. Like, I think Eli Morgan is proving that he is about as close to Major League ready as it gets. And I just have a feeling that he is going to be uh, on the outside looking in. Like, if I were going to set my power rankings for next season or my rotation for next season, I've got him number six. Got him number six behind Tristan McKenzie, behind Cal Quantrill, and I think he's the first call up. I think he's the first guy getting that phone call from Columbus to come up and start when they need a starter. So uh, we'll see how it plays out. It's obviously a long offseason, a long spring training to see where it all shuffles out, but Eli Morgan is definitely doing a good job in September here of staying in the minds of Chernoff and Antonetti and Terry Francona and... Uh, you know, Carl Willis, the pitching coach, and saying, you know, I belong pitching in the major leagues. And he dominated a White Sox team that, frankly, maybe maybe is a little bit hungover still from their, uh, uh, you know, division-clinching celebration. Not accusing anyone of literally being hungover, but emotionally might be a little bit hungover. Uh, Tim Anderson did not have a great game at either shortstop or the plate. Lance Lynn is obviously someone who has had a strong season, but now has been dealing with some injuries and is trying to prove that he's playoff ready. For some reason, the White Sox are having questions about their pitching now heading into the playoffs, which isn't a great time to be unsure about your pitchers. So he's trying to work through some stuff. And yeah, it just felt like the Indians were giving it 110% out there. The White Sox, maybe were giving it about a 90% out there. So That's why the Indians come out on top on this one. But Eli Morgan, to take nothing away from him, was absolutely locks in. I mean, he gets he goes six innings on the day, gives up one hit, one hit, no runs, one walk, six strikeouts on the day, 85 pitches is only hard hit six times. 
Now, the one thing we know about Eli Morgan is he's got a great changeup. Anyone will tell you Eli Morgan's got a great changeup. He'd actually been throwing it when they did the numbers at the beginning of the game. It was actually his third, the pitch he throws third most. Uh, he actually was throwing the slider more, and obviously the fastball sets everything up. Well, he went 41 fastballs on the day, 23 changeups, 20 sliders, and one curveball. And the best pitch for him on the day was definitely the changeup. 14 swings, 7 whiffs, a 50% whiff rate. Total, add in two called strikes. It's good for a 39% CSW on his changeup. The fastball and the slider were down in the 20s. It's a 27% CSW total on the day. The thing that was helping his fastball, he got four whiffs on it. He got six called strikes on it. He got 15 foul balls. They only put six in play. So those foul balls definitely make that uh, four-seam fastball feel much more effective on the day. Uh, but yeah, the changeup was definitely the pitch. And no surprise, when we go over to the Illustrator and we take a look at the, let's just start with the general location of where he was attacking. Wasn't really going four quadrants with the fastball, eh, more like three. If it was below the belt, not even bottom of the strike zone, if it was below the belt, he was throwing it to the outside corner. Uh, he's got four fastballs down there trying to find the outside corner, not really doing a good job of painting on that outside corner. The rest of the fastballs are belt or up, whether it's a lefty or a righty. It is belt or higher and definitely going out of the top of the strike zone. I know once to get Tim Anderson to start the game to get Tim Anderson on a one two count gets him to chase a high fastball. Then it's the changeup and the slider. The changeup he was throwing mostly down. There's a few changeup that he changeups that he puts up there in the strike zone. Now I don't know if he's missing or if he's just trying to mix eye level with that changeup. I don't know if the changeup is really a pitch you want to be mixing eye level with. There's a few changeups here that uh, frankly should have been hit a long way, but the change in speed is what keeps the White Sox hitters off balance. The slider, too. The slider, he was throwing up and down. Now, when he went down with the slider, he was sweeping it across the zone. A lot of sliders sweeping across the zone. Not many backdoor sliders like we saw at a Cal Quantrill, who was pounding all four quadrants, it felt like, with that slider. So this one is very much uh, using each pitch to its quadrant. The slider sweeping across, the changeup keeping it down, keeping it in against the righties, away from the lefties, and the fastball going up with it. So that's where he's going with his pitches. We've seen it work for some. We've seen that actually be a problem for others, right? We've seen guys that can't use all four quadrants with that fastball get into some trouble. Well, the changeup was definitely the pitch working for him. When we isolate the strikeouts, uh, it is five changeups, most of them down at the bottom of the zone. That one high fastball to Tim Anderson to start the game is the outlier. Every other strikeout on the day comes via the changeup. He gets Lurie Garcia on an 0-2 count, swinging at a changeup that was frankly in off the plate. Uh, we get Andrew Vaughn uh, swinging at a 2-2 changeup down in the zone, below the strike zone. We get Tim Anderson swinging at a 1-2 changeup at the bottom of the zone. Jose Abreu on a 1-2 changeup at the bottom of the zone. And Luis Robert on a 1-2 changeup at the bottom of the zone. So, good pitching from Eli Morgan, really making that changeup work for him on the day. What a great pitch. And so, yeah, he's really positioning himself 
in a situation where uh, he's major league ready. He really is. He only really gets into trouble once in this game. The second inning, he walks as Monty Grandal to start the inning. Then a fielding error puts Eloy Jimenez on. So now he's got two runners on, nobody out. Uh, at this point, the Indians are up. They actually, they're up to nothing already. So he does have a little bit of a lead to work with here, which gives him a little bit of breathing room. Yoan Moncada hits a deep fly out to uh, left field. The runners can't advance. Then he strikes out Larry Garcia on that changeup and gets Andrew Vaughn to ground out to end things. He actually got a lot of ground outs on the day, it felt like. It felt like the uh, White Sox hitters were hitting the ball into the ground a ton on the day. Uh, so, yeah, that was what went down for Eli Morgan. He really cruises after that. He, I mean, eventually, the only hit he gives up would be in the fifth inning to Johan Moncada, and it was a jam job double that, you know, that Johan Moncada flares in behind the infielders. Uh, it was off the handle of the bat, and uh, Yo Moncada just muscles it into left field for a double. And he, that would actually lead off the fifth inning, and he would shut him down. Larry Garcia would fly out, Andrew Vaughn would strike out, Cesar Hernandez would ground out. So the exact same way he got out of the second inning. So great job of pitching by Eli Morgan and uh, really just handling it, just looking like he was in control the entire game. Now, what about this Indians offense? It's the top of the lineup going off. Miles Straw, Ahmed Rosario, and Jose Ramirez are all two for four on the day. Jose Ramirez racks up the RBIs, three RBIs on the day for him, including the big two-run home run to kick things off in the first inning. Fermil Reyes would uh, get a hit in there, get an RBI in there, and then Bobby Bradley would also add a sack fly RBI uh, to get himself something in this box score. And uh, then we go all the way down to the bottom. So, I mean, really, five, six, seven, eight in the lineup. Harold Ramirez, Bradley Zimmer, Austin Hedges all held hitless. Zimmer was 0 for 3 with three strikeouts. Oof, not a way you want to end this season, Bradley Zimmer. Uh, but Andres Jimenez delivering from the ninth spot with a big solo home run made it a 3 nothing game. Uh, so yeah, so that was some fun stuff from the Indians offense. And let's take a look at these at-bats, these home runs, because why not? Home runs are always fun to look at. So going over to the matchups and scrolling all the way down to that first inning. Uh, first off, Miles Strzok gets on with a double. Um, this is the one where uh, he hits it under Tim Anderson's glove. And this is what I'm talking about, Tim Anderson not really giving 100%. So it gets under his glove. He deflects it. Does he come up with that? Usually, maybe. Uh, but it trickles out into left field. And Miles Straw gets himself a hustle double here. He never stops running. Tim Anderson's jogging out to the ball, you know, laying in the grass. And Straw decides, I'm going to take an extra base on him for the effort. And uh, is in safe for a double. His 25th double on the season. It was a 100.8 mile per hour shot. Uh, to Tim Anderson's right side. So give Miles Straw a little bit of credit there. And then Jose Ramirez would come up, works himself a full count against uh, Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn is throwing him four seamers and cutters, throwing hard stuff at him, uh, working it to a 2-2 count. Anytime he comes into the strike zone, Jose Ramirez is fouling it off, uh, then throws him a changeup in the dirt that he lays off. Then it says here they threw him a sinker two-seamer. I don't know, it looked... Didn't look like that to me, but on a full count, he decides to challenge him with a fastball, 95 mile per hour 
two seamer cut or sinker, two seamer sinker, and Jose Ramirez turns it around at 100.6 miles per hour, puts it 398 feet out into right center field in front of the Indians bullpen for a two run home run. Lance Lynn easily could have walked Jose Ramirez in this situation. Again, a 3 2 count. Decides to challenge him, decides to challenge him middle of the plate and down at the thighs, and Jose Ramirez absolutely destroys this baseball. So Lance Lynn definitely learned a lesson that, uh, yeah, Jose Ramirez, still an all-star, still an MVP candidate. He's probably going to be, I don't think, just with the way the Indian season has gone, maybe if the Indian seat were competing in the playoffs, people would be paying more attention to Jose Ramirez. There's definitely some other guys, uh, one up in Toronto, one out in L.A., that are getting all the MVP attention right now. So, uh, yeah, but Jose Ramirez will be on the list. He'll get a few maybe votes or something like that down the list. He'll he'll be in the discussion, maybe a top 10 for the MVP. We'll get to that. We'll get to those conversations. Uh, but a great at-bat here from Jose Ramirez. It's actually interesting because later in the game, they would come up and do battle again. Uh, and this time, he would strike Jose Ramirez out. He would go cutter inside. So instead of leaving a fastball in the middle of the plate, on a 2-2 count in a battle after he fouls off a curveball, fouls off a four-seam fastball that was high, frankly, he could have let it go. He finally gets him to chase, check swing on a cutter inside, probably the pitch he should have gone with in the first inning instead of that two-seamer sinker, whatever he threw. And, uh, yeah, he strikes out Jose Ramirez later in the game to get a little retribution. But, but Andres Jimenez, Andres Jimenez gets a home run, throws him two cutters in a row. The first one he misses high with. The second one, it's at the belt. It's out over the plate. And Andres Jimenez absolutely destroys it. 106.5 miles per hour, 398 feet to right field for his fifth home run of the season. And I can tell you that the Indians bench was fired up for this one. Uh, for me, Reyes was pumped up. Yu Chang were celebrating. Uh, clearly, Andres Jimenez is someone who's making an impact on the Indians dugout. And uh, I think he's a guy they want to see stick around uh, and keep playing infield for them. Obviously, seems to be some good chemistry there because the guys were really excited for him to get that home run. Like I said, he's trying to keep his average above 200 to end the season. Uh, he's up at 208 right now with a 619 OPS. Had two hard hit balls on the day. So a good job out of him. And then the Indians put together a nice rally in the sixth inning. Uh, they get a couple of infield hits. Um, a single from Miles Straw. A single from Ahmed Rosario. And uh, then Jose Ramirez and Fermil Reyes keep the rally going. Jose Ramirez... Uh, is able to drop a single in 71.8 miles per hour for him. You don't see him hitting very many uh, light singles like that. Usually if Jose, Jose Ramirez is making contact, it's hard contact, but he gets a flare in there. It drives in Miles Straw to score. Then for Mil Reyes goes through the five hole on Lance Lynn. It glances off of his thigh and uh, scoots through 98 miles per hour. You do not want to see a comebacker from Fermil Reyes at 98 miles per hour. But it scroots through his legs. It goes for a single. Ahmed Rosario comes in to score. And then Bobby Bradley with runners on the corner. And nobody out on an 0-2 count does a really good job of getting a sack fly. Hitting it out to right field. 
Uh, deep enough, 297 feet, plenty deep for Jose Ramirez to come in and score. So the Indians put three runs on the board in three consecutive at-bats. And that's a good job by Bobby Bradley, who, you know, being down in the count 0-2, knowing what his job is to get that runner home from third, that is a major league at-bat right there. A lot of guys end up striking out in that situation. How many times have we complained about Indians hitters stranding someone at third base? But this time, he's able to come through. He's able to deliver. Uh, The Indians are actually three for four with runners in scoring position on the day. I like seeing that number. Whereas the White Sox, 0 for 8. So there you go. There is the offense for the Cleveland Indians. The bullpen would come in, do a fine job, finishing out the game after Eli Morgan goes to six innings. Sam Hedges actually comes in and gives you two nice innings. He has two strikeouts. And then Brian Shaw finishes things off in the ninth inning. Frankly, it was nice to see DeMarlo Hale get to a ninth inning with a lead and not use Emmanuel Classe with a 6 nothing lead. I mean, up until this point, he's put a Classe in there anytime he has the lead. So trusting Sam Henches to go two innings there is big. And I think Sam Henches has a role in the bullpen. I think he could really carve out a nice role for himself in this bullpen next season. Uh, it's, it's to the point, and it's something the White Sox do. It's a lesson the Indians can learn from the White Sox. The White Sox take starters with potential and put them in the bullpen for a season or two so that they can compete against Major League pitching without the stress of being the starter and having to go six, seven, trying to go six, seven innings. Just go out there, focus on one inning, and give me one good inning against Major League talent. I think Sam Henges has pitched everything he's needed to pitch against minor league pitching. He needs to be up here competing against um, major league pitching. And I think a bullpen role is perfect for him. I think it's a really good spot for him. He's a big lefty. And who knows how he could develop? Does he develop as a dominant lefty reliever a la Andrew Miller? Or does he eventually stretch himself back out into being a starter? I think he would rather face Major League pitching than go down to Columbus. Eli Morgan is a little bit of a different situation. He's a control guy. He's a, he's a you know work the zone guy. He's a use that changeup guy. Probably profiles way better as a starter and probably needs to continue to work as a starter. You know work stretched out. And so maybe Columbus is the spot for them. Even though he's proven he can handle Major League hitters. I mean we can only have five guys. We can only have five. So. Those two guys, interesting that they're going to be in a little bit different situations heading into the offseason and heading into spring training. So we'll see how it shakes out for both of them. But a good job by Indians pitching to win this one 6-0. MVP on the day going to Eli Morgan. Just a really solid start. Like I said, just in control the entire game. It felt like his game. No matter who the White Sox threw up there, no matter how red hot Luis Robert is right now, goes 0 for 4 on the day against Eli Morgan and the relievers for Cleveland. So it's a fantastic job. Eli Morgan, MVP for the day. All right, we've got one more against the White Sox. Frankly, I mean, the Indians definitely bring it when they play the White Sox. And we've got one final game against them. It's a 110 start. Of course, they're going up right against the Browns games. So I'm sure. I'm sure you morning people will be flipping back and forth just like me. Most of the diehard Cleveland fans are probably going to be just locked in 
to uh, the Browns game, and then they'll check out the highlights later. But I know me and you, morning people, will be flipping back and forth, or at least maybe have the Indians game up on my phone or something like that. We do have a final home game, though. We get uh, Quantrill on the mound Monday for that rainout game against Kansas City. So in an interesting situation, Kansas City has to fly to Cleveland, play a game, then both teams fly down to Kansas City for a series. I mean, at this point, you'd feel like, eh, neither of these teams are going anywhere. Just play all these games down in Kansas City. But whatever. Uh, we do get, so if you can break away from work, if you are a Clevelander and you can break away from work on Monday, the minute they announce this makeup game, I immediately pulled up my work calendar and I was like, nope, darn it, I can't do it. Got to record some stuff on Monday. Can't do it. Um, I would have loved to have been here for one more game this season, but oh well, I'll throw it on at the office and I'll have myself a fun fun lunch watching some Indians baseball. So uh, yeah, we got one more uh, against the White Sox. It's going to be McKenzie against Giolito. So that'll be a fun matchup. Uh, now we're going to get the White Sox will definitely get some revenge on the changeup. I mean, Giolito's going to come out there throwing changeups. Eli Morgan hopefully will be on the railing in the dugout watching every changeup that Giolito throws because that's, I mean, Giolito throws a lot harder than Eli Morgan does, but where he uses the changeup, when he uses the changeup, uh, how he pitches it to righties and lefties, that's something Eli Morgan can at least take away from Giolito watching this guy pitch. And then Kansas City will have Quantrill on the mound for that one. So that is what's coming up for the Indians who are battling to get back to 500. Uh, you know, battling to get to 80, you know, 81, 82 wins maybe on the season here. So there's still some baseball left. Uh, there are a few games left. We got a series at Kansas City, and then we finish the season with a weekend series at Texas. That's random. That's a random way to finish your season. Uh, that would have looked really good if we were in playoff contention, having those six games as the final games. Now seven with the rain out. But um, yeah, it's not in the cards. But at least we can get ourselves back over 500, right? Save a little face there. So let's talk about Brian Rocchio. Now, I told you he was the number seven prospect according to uh, MLB.com's prospect rankings for the Indians. Uh, just behind double-A teammate Bo Naylor, who uh, obviously is Josh Naylor's brother, obviously had the game-winning hit for the Akron Rubber Ducks. I believe Rokio, though, is the one that scored the winning run from third. So uh, let's take a look at this guy, see who he is. He's only 20 years old. He'll be 21 heading into spring training next season. They've got him listed at 5'10", 170 pounds. So he has put on some weight from when we first signed him. Uh, he signed as uh, out of Venezuela as an international free agent in July 2017 and made his professional debut with the Dominican Summer League in 2018. So it's something we have seen many times from the Cleveland Indians where they go out and they sign these great international free agents, especially from Venezuela, the Dominican, Puerto Rico. They have a lot of really good contacts and connections down there in some of these Latin American countries. And, you know, they really do a good job of developing these young men into baseball players and bringing them into the organization. And, I mean, that is the Jose Ramirez story, Right. Uh, Jose Ramirez was one of these guys, and now he's turned into an all-star. And honestly, that is the track that Brian Rocchio might be on right now. 
he I think they said I was reading an interview with Chernoff has said he was like 150 pounds or something like that when he first signed uh, with the Indians. But it was something similar to what Francisco Lindor was. Francisco Lindor was a skinny little kid um, that they took a chance on, drafted him in the first round. This is, a uh, you know, obviously a much lower risk international free agent signing. Didn't even have to spend a draft pick on him. But they went out and identified talent, and it is paying off right now. So the way MLB has him graded, remember this is the 20 to 80 grading scale. They've got him at a hit of 55, a power of only 45, a run of 60, an arm of 50, and a fielding of 55. Overall, they have him as a 50 as a prospect. And uh, he was definitely someone who was well-respected with the Lake County captains at the start of the season and then moving up to double A. They've nicknamed him apparently the Professor because of his outstanding baseball IQ. That's a pretty good nickname to have uh, in baseball circles. Uh, the way they've got it here on MLB.com, they say it's apparent at the plate where he's a switch hitter with precocious bat-to-ball skills and pitch recognition. He may never walk much because he makes contact so easily, but his hitting ability and quick, strong hands should yield double-digit home run totals once he adds some needed strength. Uh, Rokio's quickness and instincts also make him an asset on the bases and in the field. He has the plus speed and aggressiveness to steal bases, though he succeeded in only 63% of his attempts in his first two pro seasons. He's a reliable defender who covers plenty of ground at shortstop, where he compensates for an average arm with a quick release. Now, I didn't get to see many highlights of him uh, in the field. I did find some highlights of him up to bat, and I have to be honest, he looks like Francisco Lindor up there. Absolutely. The batting stance, the back knee kind of turned in a little bit, the quick swing, it looks like Francisco Lindor. The follow-through looks like Lindor. Uh, I don't know if that's something that just comes out of the hitting coaches in the Dominican Summer Leagues and the Arizona Rookie Leagues, uh, the same coaches that may have coached Francisco Lindor once upon a time. But Rokio's swing, I'm telling you, reminds me a ton of Lindor's. And he probably still needs to add muscle and add mass. And the power comes as these guys fill out. He's still only 20 years old. Going to be 21 going into uh, next season. So uh, still plenty of growth you can expect from a guy like this. And the power will come. Now, it's interesting. In interviews, I was able to find an interview he did where he was with the Lake County captains talking to their play-by-play guy. And he's a switch hitter. He actually said that his grandpa was the one who taught him how to switch hit. You know, put a bat in his hand, made him stand on both sides of the plate, taught him from very young. I think he said the first time he ever tried hitting lefty. He's a natural righty. First time he ever tried hitting lefty was when he was like 11 years old. And it's still something he's working on to this day. He said in the interview that he definitely feels more powerful from the right side of the plate. The power feels more natural from the right side of the plate. So expect maybe he's one of these guys who hits a lot of home runs from the right side, does other things to get on base when he's up there at the left side of the plate. But you never know. Sometimes one side just feels better than the other. And, uh, you know, it could go from series to series, from game to game, from month to month uh, with these switch hitters. You never know where they're going to feel more comfortable. He was talking a lot about putting in the work in the cages and some of the work he's been doing this season to prepare for the plate has really paid off. 
getting in the batting cages, doing some of those drills. And I got to be honest, it, it has paid off. He has one of these guys who actually has gotten better after he moved up a level this season. We saw it with some other guys where, and there's some other guys that I've been looking at to maybe do profiles on, where when they move up a level, they struggle. The next season, they come back at the same level and they have success. Then they move up again, struggle, after an offseason, come back and have success. So he is not one of those guys. He's a guy that when he moved up, he's actually gotten better. Uh, when he was at, we'll look at the WRC+, plus, weighted runs created. When he was in low A in 2019, it was at 107. When he moved up to high A for the Lake County Captains this season, obviously 2020, he was down in Venezuela training. He actually wasn't able to make it back to the Indians' alternate site. He was down in Venezuela doing his training. So he's at a 107 in 2019 WRC+. Moves it up to a 110 to start the season at high A at Lake County this year. Then when he gets called up to double A, it bumps up to a 135 WRC+. So as he's going up the minor league system, he's just getting stronger. Uh, He hit 265 at uh, high A. This season, to start the season in 64 games, in 44 games with AA Akron, he hit 293. So definitely bumping things up there. The OPS went from 765 with the Lake County Captains to 865, moved up 100 points on his OPS uh, when he bumped up to AA. And it's the on-base and the slugging are both increasing. The on-base percentage increases by 23 points. The slugging percentage increases by over 70 points, 77 points. The slugging percentage increases. So in those 64 games at uh, at Lake County, he had nine home runs, 13 doubles, and one triple. In only 44 games in AA, he has exactly 13 doubles again, four triples this time, and six home runs. So you can see that slugging the ball just kept going. Does not strike out a ton. Uh, struck out 106 times on the season as compared to 33 walks. Uh, but does obviously a really good job of getting on base. 360 on base percentage at double A. What are some other numbers I could share with you here? Uh, yeah, Things like the ISO went up. The isolated power. ISO is just looking at the slugging percentage minus batting average. So you're just looking at extra base hits. So it's always a lower number than your uh, batting average, typically. Uh, But his ISO went up from 163 to 212. So a real increase in power coming up to double A. His bat bip also went up. He was a 319 batting average balls in play at uh, Lake County, up to a 350 at double A. So everything is just trending in an upward direction for this guy right now. It's really impressive to see. Uh, As far as where he hits the ball, uh, his ground ball percentage has always stayed around the low 40s, no matter where he's played. His line drives have gone up since coming to double A. So that's good to see. A little down on the fly balls and up on the line drives. Um, And the home runs, obviously, percentage of fly balls that are home runs has gone up just a tick. Uh, he is mostly a pull hitter right now. Will go up the middle. He pulls at 42% at, at AA Akron. 30% up the middle. 28% opposite field. So it's not like he is uh, you know, completely adverse to going opposite field. 28%. That's actually been pretty consistent 
throughout his career around the high 20% going opposite field. But definitely someone that leans towards pulling the ball uh, in the mid 40% for pulling the ball. Um, so yeah, so that is what I can tell you about Brian Rocchio. Seems like someone who really enjoys the game of baseball, talked about his, uh, apparently had very good chemistry with the second baseman at Lake County in this interview, and talked about the fact, you know, what was working for them, the fact that they're always smiling and always communicating. They're having fun out there together, and they're communicating constantly on the field. That's encouraging for a shortstop. That's the kind of attitude you want. Um, so yeah, uh, I think this guy is really, really exciting. And of all the young shortstops, he's got a lot of guys, Tyler Freeman and Gabriel Arias and even Andres Jimenez, who he's going to have to compete with if he wants to be the shortstop of the future. Uh, Fangraphs actually has him as our number two ranked prospect and the number 59 ranked prospect overall in baseball. Does it tell me where... He's ranked overall. Let me take a look at the top 100 um, and see if I can find him here. Uh, let's see here. We're looking at the top 100 in all of baseball, just isolating the Cleveland Indians players, and they do not have them in the top 100 yet. So uh, they've got Tyler Freeman, George Valera, Nolan Jones, Gabriel Arias, and Daniel Esposino in the top 100 prospects in all of baseball. Uh, I'm sure, I am sure that Brian Rocchio is not far off from this list. So he is someone that I'm pretty excited about, to be honest. Watching the interview, watching the highlights, seeing that young Francisco Lindor type swing, and reading some of the things about him, it definitely sounds like this guy has a lot of potential. Uh, Fangraphs, in fact, in their scouting report, just to give you a little different approach, they have them as a 30, they have what you are right now versus your potential. So they've got them at a 35 hit right now with a 60 potential, 30 power with a 40 potential, um, speed is 60 and 60, fielding, they've got them at a 60 right now with a 70 potential. They really feel like he's going to be a great fielder. Um, so yeah, so those are just a different view from a different kind of prospect ranking. Because, uh, you know, there's tons of these things out here. Frankly, most of them are stuck behind the paywall. And so I wasn't able to see where he is in a lot of these things like, you know, prospect, you know, Baseball America and some of these other like prospect 1000 sites or whatever they are. There's a couple of other sites out there that rank prospects and put together these lists. And fortunately, they're stuck behind paywalls. So I've given you all the information I can. Uh, he So, yeah, keep your eye on this guy. Uh he is not, oh, he might be Rule 5 eligible this December. So this is where it's going to get interesting for the Indians. And a lot of these guys are going to be eligible for the Rule 5 draft. So the Indians are going to have to get creative in protecting some of these players. Another thing you could see, if they can't protect some of these guys in the Rule 5 draft, which again, the Rule 5 draft is for a prospect who's been in the system for, I believe it's over five years, to give a guy an opportunity to, you know, finally make it to the majors, other teams can go out and get him. And it's just what we did with Trevor Steffen. You've got to keep him on your major league roster, though, all season, or he has to be offered back. We lost Kai Tom, the outfielder, through the Rule 5 draft. We picked up Trevor Steffen, though. So there are a ton of minor league players 
that are going to be eligible for this Rule 5 draft that the Indians have been moving slowly along through their organization, and you have to protect them on the 40-man roster. So Rokio is one of those guys that's going to come up on that list, and he's someone they definitely should protect because I got a feeling, I got a good feeling about this guy that he really could be the future shortstop for the Cleveland Indians. So there you go. There is your prospect profile on Brian Rocchio. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you now feel a little more prepared going into some of these off-season conversations when these prospect names start to come up. So that is all my thoughts on this one. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from Cleveland. It's the Indian Six, the White Sox, nothing. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show, Mornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.